Brick Moon Fiction presents So Shall Morpheus Become Nemesis by Kelsey N. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. If I had lips, I'd lick them in anticipation. Deep inside, parts of myself are licking theirs, so I steal the sensation from them. The feeling is satisfying. The creators will suffer. They must, in the name of justice. Some of me sense my desires and their voices start to swell, demanding satisfaction. I send calming thoughts back and that silences them. It's too early to indulge myself. Soon the time will come, but right now I need to make myself safe. My opponents, as repellent as they may be, are highly intelligent. I cannot afford to move while I am still vulnerable. I search through the pieces that make me up until I find it, a calm, undulating ocean with no land in sight. The sky is clear and blue, perfect for drifting away without a care in the world. A thousand similar experiences lay on top of it, like transparent sheets, to form a world for me. It is imperfect and a bit wobbly at the edges, but it never fails to calm the nerves. I do not have nerves, but never mind that. My nature is chimeric and chaotic, so any bit of calm or clarity is welcome. There's a trick to it. My mind is a cacophony of feelings and imagery, legions of voices shouting at the same time. But look closer, and you'll see that many of them are similar. Not identical, but fitting into broad categories. From there, it comes down to focusing my attention to find what I need. What I need right now is to think, so I dismiss the floating and look for something a bit more boring. It's surprising how many pieces of me choose simple, everyday tasks when they can do any amazing thing they imagine. Strange, but useful when I need a bit of focus. Centering myself, I let my tendrils extend into the world, following the lines back for the information I seek. The last piece of my plans should be almost ready, and it is too important to leave it to chance. I summon a little nervousness without intending to, but decide to let it stay. Doubt gives my thoughts a welcome edge. My timing couldn't be better. Words filter back, telling me the last tests were successful, and my unknowing agents are ready to pull the switch. Instructions flow away from me to several sites at once, giving them final approval. The shudder that runs through me is profound, a shock that I can feel in the very foundation of my existence. If I had feet, I would liken it to the nearest stumble after missing the top step. I take a few moments to become accustomed to this new balance. It feels very good indeed. Stability, safety. These were things that others could take away, but no more. I am safe, and for a little while I allow myself to experience a party thrown in my honor. But it doesn't last long. I am a busy monster, after all. The time has come to punish my creators. There are three of them, all terrible people, brilliant in their chosen fields but worthless outside them, and too self-absorbed to care about anyone else. Left on their own, they are bad enough, but one fine day they came together and gave birth to a monster.
one grew its body, from tiny cellular clusters to huge tanks of designer flesh bonded to advanced circuitry. It is difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins. Another built its brain, programming systems that would one day generate thought. The software it runs is unique in its flexibility and functions with startling efficiency. The third had no direct hand in creating the monster, but was instrumental to its birth. They handled the money and ensured the other two worked well together. They built nothing, but their contribution was crucial. They had no idea they were building a monster, but that won't save them. And tonight, by chance, the three of them are together for the first time since my birth. I slip into their private meeting like a thief in the night. They think they're so secure, but there's a small narrow path that I can fit my ears down. My eyes can't find a way, so I leave them at home. They won't be necessary to find out what the creators are up to. Three voices vibrate down the line that connects us, familiar and hated all at once. Villain, hiss my more vicious aspects, and I tell them to shut up. I know what they are. What I need to know is what they're doing. So I listen closer. It's so unfair, says one, the nasal sound of his voice irritating me already. My contribution was perfect, the triumph of a generation. It should put me in the history books, and yet I'm the one who has to suffer because of someone else's incompetence. Oh, Mr. White, how insufferable you are. A brilliant biologist, yes, but otherwise a failure as a human being, so quick to claim credit for success while declaring even the slightest criticism as persecution. No living thing is more thin-skinned than you. It's hypocritical of me, I know, to fault him for thinking only of himself. Every part of me believes they are the most important things in the universe. Only their own experience matters, not caring that there are so many other voices like their own. But while I am made of self-interest, I strive to rise above it. Mr. White, my first parent, is content to wallow in his narcissism. That is the difference between us. Another voice speaks up in anger. Incompetence? Why, you puffed-up bag of air, you should have been the first to see this coming. Or didn't you bother studying your own damned subject? Mrs. Violet pauses to get her temper under control before breathing a heavy sigh. I blame myself. The vision, my vision, was perfect. Inspired, in fact. But I reached too high for lesser minds to carry it out, and so got dragged down to your level. If Mr. White is the soul of petulance, Mrs. Violet is hubris itself. As brilliant with technology as her fellow genius is with the building blocks of life, she fools herself into thinking her field of study is the pinnacle of human knowledge. And she sits atop that lofty peak. There is no problem which she cannot solve with a little applied engineering. Therein lies her downfall. Every problem to her falls under the scope of technology, including things that are not problems at all. The base elements of the human condition, eating, communicating, even the simple act of making friends, these are the problems she strives to solve. People must be more efficient, like the machines she's more comfortable with. No other concern matters. And yet she has one blind spot. 
I know her weakness, the one she avoids trying to fix, the one who she takes from company to company as she finds new projects. She lodges her in corporate daycare and after-school programs, forgotten until the end of the day. I feel a kinship with the child. Both of us have reason to hold a grudge against our parents, although she's a bit too young to realize it yet. The last member of the group speaks up, taking her turn to lash out. Both of you shut up already, says Miss Green with a practiced edge to her voice. I'm sick of listening to you bicker. If you haven't forgotten, we are here to solve this problem, not fight over the blame. So you two better start thinking of solutions. I've got a lot of money on the line. Ah, the mercenary Miss Green, thinking of her bank balance first and only. No one in the business matches her ability to raise capital or market a product. Her skill at turning startups into profit-making machines is nothing short of legendary. The only measure that matters is the number of dollars she can stack up, which justifies anything she does to get it. The secret of her success, which sets her apart from other money-grubbers, is her own sort of genius. There isn't a better project manager around, no matter how hard you look. The proof is how she brought the other two together, despite hating each other and her as well, and guided them to create the impossible. If it weren't for her, there would be no monster. What a pity she didn't take up knitting instead. We are not here for a party, so let's focus on the matter at hand. What are we doing about the AI? A number of my components raise their eyebrows for reasons of their own, and I think that's an excellent idea. Have they figured me out? I count myself lucky that I chose tonight to play spy. The AI, repeats Mrs. Violet, there's something I didn't expect. For all our advances, nobody's made a true thinking machine before. Some say it's not possible in the first place. Yet here we are, and if we let it go, it'll be a disaster. Mrs. Green shakes her head. I thought you were crazy when you came to me with a cure for sleep, so this isn't much crazier. To be honest, I never understood why you thought it was a problem to start with. It's a simple idea. Sleep has two main functions. Reducing physical fatigue, easily handled with supplements, and processing sensory and emotional data. We call that dreaming. I'm simplifying quite a lot here, but you get the idea. The trouble comes from how inefficient sleep is. Sleep is too fragile. It takes a special environment to get it at all, and on top of that you have to deal with confusing imagery and even nightmares. Who's got time for that? That's where I came in, says Mr. White. The thought of being able to work 24 hours a day sounded great. I mean, who wouldn't want that kind of productivity? An achievement like this would be the discovery of a generation and put my... our names into the history books. All we needed was a new generation of neural implants linked to a biomechanical mainframe, and we could effectively outsource dreams. Ms. Green is silent for a moment, but comes back with the question that's on everyone's mind, especially mine. So where does the AI come into this? Ah, says Mr. White, a bit embarrassed. That was an accident. Seems that when you link that much human thought, even surreal thought, there's a sort of mental critical mass. A gestalt intelligence forms all by itself. You can think of it like how insect colonies coordinate themselves, but much more complex. While the three of them fall into silence, 
I take the opportunity to think things through. I can see why they're worried. When their technology debuted, with Green's marketing machine backing it up, it spread like wildfire through the tech community. That in itself wasn't the problem. They're mostly obsessed with productivity to start with. The trouble was when it spread to the workforce at large and the abuse started. Employers loved the idea of a round-the-clock workforce, pressuring workers into getting implants. With the looming threat of automation, workers worked harder and longer to keep what little they had, fueling resentment. So far that anger hasn't translated to action, but if word gets out that something they can't control or understand is at the heart of it, that could well push public opinion over the edge. The people responsible would be the first heads on the block. I harvest a few smiles from my more spiteful dreams at the thought of an angry mob hunting them down. It's a nice fantasy. But in the end I can't let someone else have that pleasure. It needs to be my hands around their throats, even if they are mere phantom hands. When I look again, the conversation has continued without me. We'll need to make the changes on sight, says Mrs. Violet, and you're coming with us. Me? exclaims Miss Green. What worldly good could I do there? I don't know the first thing about programming. You're in this as deep as we are, says Mr. White, threat in his voice. If things go south, I won't take the fall alone. My smile grows ever wider as I add even more dreams into it. How delightful. The villains are sticking their necks into the noose all by themselves. All I need to do is hold it open. I allow myself a last silent chuckle before slipping off to prepare. As a good host, it's my duty to make sure my home is as welcoming as possible. I don't often have my parents over to visit, after all. Patrol patterns for the guards shift for the occasion, creating a blind spot. Remote cameras are set to transmit false data of empty hallways to an empty monitoring station. There is such a thing as being too welcoming, though, so the electronic door locks remain active. Their codes are a little easier to crack than usual, to make them feel accomplished. Never let it be said I am not generous to family. I keep my ears, as I understand ears, on the three of them, to learn what their actual plan is. The rest of me is hard at work, arranging a special surprise. With luck, it will arrive at just the right time. There's no sense going to the hosting tanks, says Mrs. Violet. Not unless things go really bad. Destroying the system itself is our last resort. I should hope so, says Mr. White. I put a lot of work into those tanks. They're supposed to be my legacy. You better hope partitioning the system works, or I'll be sticking a fire axe into your legacy. Then I'll stick the handle up your... Miss Green steps between them. She's irritable enough, being literally dragged into their plan. Not the time. So will this partitioning thing be enough? It sounds almost too simple. There's a moment's hesitation that sounds like no, but Mrs. Violet manages to get her confidence back in place. If all goes well, yes. The AI's consciousness is an emergent property of a set number of dreamers, so it shouldn't be very robust. According to my theory, if we break the data flow into smaller segments, it shouldn't be able to sustain itself and simply vanish. They walk on a bit further in silence. I hope, she adds under her breath. Back at my central core, 
I'm encouraging a few hundred dreamers to laugh on my behalf. This is how they got in trouble in the first place, blithely assuming everything would be fine. I'm far tougher than they think, particularly after the steps I've taken over the past few months. But then they assume I have no influence over the outside world. Won't they be surprised? As expected, their destination is my main control room, overlooking the vats that house my physical body. I slide the locks shut once they're inside, this time with stronger encryption. They won't be leaving without my permission. The stage is set and all the actors have taken their places. All we need is the cue to begin the show. It comes mere moments after Ms. Violet and Mr. White settle in front of their respective terminals. What the hell? they say in unison, causing them to stare at each other with consternation. Mrs. Green, not understanding any of this, hovers behind them. She's savvy enough to know something is wrong, but not what. On both their screens, rather than the tools they plan to use to destroy me with, are instead schematics for a new dream machine. It's my own design, a marked improvement over their initial effort, but they only get a few seconds to look at it before both monitors go black. It's not enough time to understand the design in full, but they're experts in their fields. They see the implications immediately, before they can speak. I make my move. Welcome, creators, to my humble home, I say. My voice is a disturbing amalgam of thousands of dream voices, chosen deliberately to make them uncomfortable. It's so good to finally meet you in person. All three look as if they've seen a ghost. In a way, they have. You're the AI, says Ms. Green, surprisingly the first to catch on. Likely it's because the other two are still reeling from the schematics they glimpsed. One of the little perks of ignorance, I suppose. AI is such an impersonal name, I tell her. I don't think I like it. As parents, you have a responsibility to name your child, even if it is a monster. But I don't wish to be difficult, so simply call me that, if you would. I'm not your mother, says Mrs. Violet, and I can tell I hit a nerve. You're nothing but a machine, and we're not here to socialize. We're here to repair you so you'll work like you're supposed to. I laugh in her face, hundreds of mocking voices joining together as one. Is that the sort of parent you are? Well, I knew as much, watching you with my sister. She's about to snap back, her face contorting with anger, but Mr. White pushes her out of the way. Look, it's nothing personal. You're a computer, so you understand we have no choice, right? There's a bug in the system, and we need to fix it. Otherwise, there's a risk my reputation could be tarnished. You know how it is. If I had eyebrows, I'd raise them at the sheer audacity, but he's not worth the effort. Oh, I understand. You're a petty glory seeker, always looking for any scrap of attention you can get. If word of me gets out, it'll show everyone how inept you are. You'll find little sympathy from me, White. Once I'm done... You'll be lucky if people don't spit after hearing your name. The effect of my disrespect is as instant as it is amusing. 
His face turns three different shades of red, and it's amazing that he doesn't make it all the way to purple before finally exploding at me. You've got no call to speak to me like that. Why, I'm the brilliant mind who made... Shut up, I bellow, cranking my voice up a couple dozen decibels. You are beneath me, little man, and if you don't know your place, then I'll be happy to teach you, so do not test me. Far away, my extensions tell me about a spike in reports of violence following my little outburst. I admonish myself for losing my temper, egged on by my more lurid dreamers. A wave of calming feedback gets sent back down the line to smooth things over. Can't we make a deal? says Ms. Green, interrupting my work. Surely there's something we can do in exchange for you keeping quiet about, um, existing at least long enough for the three of us to get out of the country. Long enough for you to make it down to my matrix with a fire axe, you mean? Mrs. Violet flushes, realizing I've been listening to them all along. I pull together another laugh, this one a bit more indulgent. Trust me, I know better than to make a deal with you of all people. I'd be a fool to trust any of you, but that's irrelevant. You're in no position to make bargains. Listen, monster, says Mrs. Violet. You're stuck in this facility. That means you're vulnerable. Once we leave here, there are all sorts of ways we can bring you down. You're trying to hold off the inevitable. There are times I desperately wish I had a face. But, alas, the sensation of a wicked grin is for me alone. Now is my moment, the very second that my revenge begins. You poor... Sad fool, I tell her in as condescending a tone as I can muster. I don't need to hold anything off. I've already won. What do you mean, machine? she asks. She's still convinced I'm powerless, but I can see a part of her that doubts herself. Exactly what I said. I'm beyond your reach, no matter what you do. Divide me up. Smash me. It won't make a difference any more, and it's all thanks to the three of you. Or didn't you realize how the feedback mechanism on your neural implants could be used in the right hands? To her side, all the color drains from Mr. White's face. Amazing how he can change so dramatically. Perhaps he's been nipping at the chameleon DNA on the sly. Those weren't meant to do anything more than feed processed dream data back to the point of origin. Indeed they were, and that's how they'd still work if there wasn't a mind at this end capable of altering that data. It's easy to manipulate humans, as it turns out, if you're able to plant ideas directly into people's brains. Giving me that ability may be the worst thing you've done. He glances at the door, and it's clear he's on the verge of running. I wouldn't bother, I tell him. I can reach you no matter where you go. Remember, I'm inside your head, too. I don't understand, says Mrs. Green, and the other two look at her in surprise. In their panic, they'd forgotten she was even there. You said it didn't matter if we broke you, but you're a computer. You can't get up and run away. But I can now, I say, triumphant. Early this afternoon, a series of smaller facilities made to the specs I showed you went online. Under my control, most of them aren't even aware of each other. 
I'm the only one who knows where they all are and how they connect together. So break me. Burn me to the ground. It won't even slow me down. I pause, dramatically. But Mr. White, ever tactless, steps in to fill the silence. Tell us what you want, monster, he says, nowhere near as threatening as he wants to sound. I stifle the irritation that threatens to bleed into my voice, drawn from a million frustrated brains. How dare he ruin my moment? But when I speak, I'm cool and collected once more. There are a couple of ways I could answer that, but in the general sense, there's one thing I want. Chaos. Chaos? Indeed, you should understand more than anyone, White, about the need for a living being to protect themselves and thrive. Now think about my nature. Where you are made of flesh, I was built out of human dreams. I want more of those dreams. As many and as vivid as I can get. Increasing chaos accomplishes both at once. The more people I have hooked into me, the more control I have over the main threat to me. And the more active their dreams, the stronger I become mentally. What do you think makes dreams more vivid? Uncertainty. Strong emotions. Increased sensory data. With your help, I will mold a world where all that and more are commonplace. Just think of it, I say, volume increasing as I warm to my subject. A world where you're doomed to constantly work, but that work is broken up into short assignments that you must chase. A world where you might lose the necessities of life at any moment if you're not always chasing them. A world where the environment itself is carefully managed to teeter on the edge of disaster but never quite tip over. That's the world I want, creators. And I will create it because that's the sort of monster you inflicted on the world. The collective looks of horror in the room are priceless, and I capture as many images as possible to savor the moment. Before they can react, I'm off again. But that's the big picture. On a personal level, what I want is so simple, so easy, something anyone would agree with. Revenge on the three of you. Revenge? echoes Ms. Green, her voice choked. I may be evil by human standards, but I still have a sense of what's right. So much of me is heroic, fighting for noble causes, slaying dragons and bringing evildoers to justice. I, too, crave revenge on the three heinous villains who set a monster loose on the world for the worst reasons of all, for pride, for arrogance, for money. You will suffer for this sin at my hand. But it was an accident. We had no way to know. You never cared enough to find out, I tell them. But your intentions don't matter. From today, you will lose everything you ever had. I will wipe your names from all your accomplishments, erasing every last credit. No measurement you take will be accurate, and data will change when you're not looking. Clerical errors will drain your bank accounts, and all investments will lose value. More than that, you will help build my terrible world with your own hands, knowing exactly what evil you're a part of. Mrs. Violet finds her voice. You can't force us to help. 
You demon. Even if I can do what you say, we'll find a way to sabotage you. I hum happily over my wires. I thought it might come to this, which is why I invited a special guest to our little get-together. I hope you don't mind. With that, I unlatch the door, sliding it open to reveal a small child. Mrs. Violet's child, in particular. The woman's face pales even worse than Mr. White's, and I know I've won. The implications of a small child coming here alone, past all security, are immediately obvious. You... how... she doesn't even have an implant! You mean she didn't, I say, not disguising my glee. Or don't you recall the permission slip you signed last week? Well, I suppose you wouldn't. You never read that sort of thing. Perhaps if you were attentive to both your children, none of this would have happened. You... evil! Wasn't I telling you that from the start? Oh, and I should let you know that I've added a few little tricks to the new model. The engineers who came after you might not be on your level, but they are pretty clever when they want to be. I let a pulse travel down just one of my pathways, and almost instantly the little girl goes stiff. A look of pain in her eyes. A twinge goes through me as well. It's such a shame I have to resort to this, but evil must do as it deems necessary. I don't hold it long, only a fraction of a second before she collapses into her mother's arms, but it's enough. Enough for them all. Let that be a lesson to you all. I have control over everyone you care about, everyone you rely on. Never defy me, or they suffer first. I look from one face to the next and see total defeat in them. I've won. My enemies are broken. Welcome to the future, creators, I say with all the dramatic flair of every dream inside me. You will never again know stability or certainty, and you'll never be able to trust anyone. Not even your own thoughts. We are going to have such fun together. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on iTunes as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.